Welcome to the Made Men Project. This is your man, DB. Transform from trauma victim into a victor over trauma and your emotional empowerment coach. You are now inside the Made Men Project where we bring you an empowering personal message to dismantle society's false sense of masculinity and change the male narrative. Thanks for coming through today. My guest today is licensed clinical professional counselor, speaker, author, and radio show host, Rashad Bowtie Mills. In this episode, Rashad shared with us his challenges and triumphs that led him to being the man, father, and husband he is today. So make sure you share this podcast with others who you think can benefit from it. Be sure to like, comment, subscribe, click the bell, and share. Remember to subscribe to the Main Man Project and leave us a rating and review. All right, let's get it. Hey yo, fellas, we we made men. We made men. Try to believe that within. I just wanna be a good man. Okay. I know you all, but tell me you a good man. Tell me you're a good man. So many men are being crushed. Society demands to be tough. Yes, you yes you are enough. Okay. I just wanna be a good man. I can't relate to you, brother, cause you're a good man. Yes, you are a good man. I'm right beside you, I'm right behind you I know that life could be hard right? You're not a coward, you got the power For talking about your stars No, you're not soft Let me inspire you, empower you because Society may want to see you fall You got another brother to call So many men are being crushed Societal demands to be tough Yes, you, yes, you are enough Don't bluff, okay I can't relate to you, brother Cause you're a good man Yes, you are a good man Hey, I'm here, my brother I love you. Yes, you, yes, you are enough. I just want to be a good man. I can't relate to you, brother, because you're a good man. Yes, you are a good man. What's up, family? Welcome back to the Main Man Project. I'm your host, DB, and today I'm bringing on licensed clinical professional counselor, speaker, author, and radio show host, Rashad Bowtie Mills. Today, Rashad is going to help me dismantle society's false sense of masculinity because so many men are being crushed on societal demands to be tough, deny any kind of vulnerability, sensitivity, or any internal hurt and pain. It's time to change that narrative. So listen, it's going to be a great show with so many things you guys are going to pay attention to. But first, really quickly, if you're a man who knows that you have the potential to do great things, but not sure how to get from where you are to where you want to be, trapped in mental and emotional bondage, and being crushed under self-limiting beliefs and behaviors, it's time to stop struggling with the stress, anxiety, self-doubt, and fear, and look me up on LinkedIn at DB Empowers and send me a short message. We will book your free, no-pitch clarity call so you can learn more about me and my team and if and how we can help you master your emotions and begin maximizing your full potential to the highest level in the next 60 days. Okay, Rashad, what's up, my man? Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it greatly. Ah, man, I'm glad you've been here, brother. I'm glad you've been here looking, you know, for all this you can't see, but my brother looking sharp and dapper with the bow tie, man. So real quick before we get into the questions, man, what what got you into the bow ties, brother? So very quickly, I was working at an elementary school and it was a a, a brother there. It was a Muslim brother. He would wear bow ties every day. Yeah. And he challenged me one day to wear a bow tie because I was wearing, you know, traditional ties. I was a teacher assistant. And when I walked in with the bow tie, the response was incredibly different from the kids than I had ever received. So at that point, I was like, wow, I like this sort of concept of wearing bow ties. (laughs) And then as I began to, you know, get into different business ventures, it separated me from other people. And now it's just sort of like uh, it's took it's taken on a brand of its own, and it's literally my LLC, Rashad Bowtie Mills LLC. 
Man, that's what's up, brother. I like that, man. So listen, man, we're going to jump right into it, man. So as a child, tell me, man, who and what was your example of a man? Wow, that's a great question. Um, you starting off throwing curveballs, not softballs. So that's a great question. <laughs> we're going to jump right into jump it. Jump right man. into it. Yeah. So uh, to be honest with you, my greatest example of a man growing up was my grandfather. But here's mm-hmm. the thing about him. There were sort of some pros and cons, like they are to any, you know, any person that you can think of. The pros were he was an incredibly hardworking man, very family-oriented man. And I'm talking about working hard. Um, he was in construction work. So I'm talking about back-breaking, brutal kind of work. Yeah. Um, he would never take a day off. And I, he had actually had a garden. And when I watch him, I would go to the garden with him and I would watch him sit in the garden and plant and plant. And then, you know, three, four months later, sort of reap his harvest. So even at a young age, I was learning lessons from him. Just an incredible man, a great spirited guy. But he was also flawed. Um, yeah. I, you know, as I got older, I learned that, you know, he had cheated on my grandmother several times and he would drink too much. And the thing about him being flawed made me even love him even more because as I got older, I know that even the greatest of men were yet very flawed. So it's always, I guess, this duality that we're battling <clears throat> from being you know, a good guy and then still working on our own challenges. But he was like the greatest example of, of a man until this day. Um, when I think about him, it literally makes me tear up because he was like a dynamic dude. He was just a dynamic dude. Well, that's deep, man. I resonate with that story so much. My grandfather was like my father. You know, Mm -hmm. at the age of 14, he and I just built, not that we wasn't close coming up, but at 14, I was able to understand and appreciate him more. Mm. And he was my hero. He was like my dad. Like, that was was the man in my life who steered me um, in so many directions. And and the thing about it, like you said, he was, was, like your grandfather, he was flawed. Mm -hmm. You know, my grandfather was born in 1918. He'd been on his own since he was nine years old. So he was a tough, hard man, hardworking, family driven, did anything to take care of his children, his his, his wife. But like like something, like you said about what your grandfather, he drank too much. He was a womanizer. Mm -hmm. He was, he was abusive, but I, I didn't know that man. Like I didn't know the father that my mother and her siblings knew, I knew my grandfather. So mm-hmm. it was it was a bit different, but I was able to appreciate his growth and where he was at the time and in, in his life where we became real close. So I definitely get it. And I miss my grandfather to this day. He's no longer with us. He passed in 2013. So as far as the tears are swelling up in your eyes, mm-hmm. my eyes started to sweat a little bit too, thinking about the relationship you have with your grandfather, plus also the relationship I have with my grandfather, man. So that's great. Yeah. Let me let me just jump in, because that was a great point that you made when you mentioned that your grandfather was like your father. For people listening to this, here's a really interesting thing. My biological father, um, I'm 43 years old. So for the majority of my life, for about 30 years, he you know, he was incarcerated. So I didn't have that sort of fatherly Mm. image. So it's interesting. So as this podcast is actually being recorded on today, probably within an hour, he's actually coming to my to my house. Um, wow. to actually have um, a, birth, happy, a 70th birthday dinner, brunch rather, at my house. And it just, it's one of these things that I'm 43 and this is the first time in my entire life that my mother and father are like together um, and they'll be here. And literally my biological father just a few months ago met my twin girls who are 11. He literally met them when they were old enough for the first time because when they were born, he's been incarcerated. So it's just like this thing that the importance of having, you know, dads there um, 
it, it will get you very emotional. It will get yeah, you man. very, very emotional. So, so talk to me about that dynamic and, and, and you know, and I, and I love this. This is just the realness of the where this conversation is going, but talk to me about those feelings you're experiencing right now of knowing that your dad is coming over the first time having mom and dad together, brother, like, you know, what's that like for you right now? It's, it's, um, <laughs> I feel like a kid. So about yeah. two weeks ago when I was sort of planning this, his birthday is tomorrow. And my wife said, I, I can see it in your faces. You're like excited, but you're like jittery. Man. Because I'm yeah. like, yeah, this is the first time that I get to plan for my dad. You know, yeah. it's, it's not, you know, normally it's the opposite. You know, it's the dad planning for the son's birthday. And now it's like yeah. my, my dad is home and it, you're like, he's planning. I'm planning for his birthday. So it's a very exciting moment, to be honest with you. I would be lying if I said I'm not on pins and needles because, you know, part of my prayers is that he always um, remains in the safe place in his mind where he doesn't feel like he has to go out and you know use drugs again you know, or go back to the, the street life so mm -hmm. it's it's a part mm -hmm. of me that I'm, I'm on pins and needles but I feel more comfortable about it and just having a bond with him um even you know why he's been detained having a bond with him man it's been incredible and having him sort of be able to experience these moments with my kids man is is incredible because it hasn't happened like literally he saw my kids when they were about three or four months old um, and then he, you know, went in for another about 10 years. So again, just a few months, he met them and he's getting to understand and have that, you know, grandfather, granddaughter sort of relationship. So man, it's, it's, um, it's a blessing. It's a blessing. Well, it's, it's funny, man. We, you know, we got so many similarities and, and I, and I think it's just not us, man. It's, it's common throughout our culture because my unfortunately, dad was, yeah, my dad was in out of jail a lot when I was younger. At, at what age? How old were you when was was when your dad first went away? Two years old, nineteen seventy nine. Um, he was sentenced to sixty years for uh, a bank robbery. Dang. Good guy, just, just like the rob bank. So yeah. from seventy nine till about ninety nine, did a straight twenty year stretch. Came home in nineteen ninety nine. I was a older college student at Benedict College in Columbia, South Carolina at the time. Yeah. And then I think he remained, um, you know, free for about another 10 years. And in 2009, the year that my kids were born, three, four months into, you know, them being born, he's, he's going back for another 10 years. Mm. Um, so at least we're talking 30, 31 years um, of my life. Yeah. What was that like as far as trying to continue that relationship? What were your feelings like around that situation, man, with with dad not being there? It's kind of interesting because it's, it's this two-tiered perspective. One yeah. perspective I got was like from my mom because my yeah. father and I physically, we resemble each other to the point that people, you know, it's like twins. And I got sort of that, unfortunately, I got that you look just like your father, you remind me like your father. And then as a kid, like, I'm, whoa, I'm taking on negative energy, like negative. Yeah. <laughs> so what does this mean? Does this mean yeah. you're just an awful guy? Because, you know, you're eight, nine, and 10, you don't understand incarceration. So that was one perspective of it. And then the other perspective of it is I long to have like a, a guy in the house, yeah. like to help me, you know, change attire, how to interact with women. Um, what, what does it look like, you know, with a man doing certain things, fixing things around the house and responsibilities. And I, I long for that. And I never had that. Yeah. And I vividly remember one time that, um, I didn't know why, but I know I was very emotional. He was in a federal prison and I want to say in Lewisburg, Pennsylvania. Okay. And as we were leaving, I just remember, you know, him hugging me and I boohoo. I mean, I boohoo, you know, checking out, going through the gates and, yeah. Um, the entire car ride home, I just remember yeah. boohooing and I remember my mother, you know, and aunt just kind of consoling me, you know, it, it'll be okay. But I never knew why, but I guess looking back at it now and I have more <clears> knowledge, 
it was like I wanted, you know, I wanted a, a guy around. I wanted to have this sort of, you know, mom and dad, and because I, I've never grew up with that at all. And most of my friends, unfortunately, we didn't either. Yeah, man. Yeah. That's critical, man. I love that part, man. But mm-hmm. what was the hardest part for you, you know, for all that, man, going through that? What was the hardest part for you growing up without that father? Around? Just being lost, just really finding, trying to find a sense of self in um, other people. And when I say other people, you know, I dibbled and dabbled in, in the street by a little bit. I joke with people and say that was the era of my life where I wanted to be Tupac and found out that I wasn't, right? <laughs> so um, when the bullet hit my legs, I had got shot. And when the bullet hit my leg, it was like, all right, Rashad, this is not for you. But I dibbled and dabbled right into the street life. And I think I was just longing for something that I was just attaching myself, you know, with guys in the streets. It was like a sense of like, I don't know, brotherhood, camaraderie, whatever it was like. But I, I knew I was missing something. So that was the biggest part. It was like a missing element of my life. Um, and then I just tried to find it in other places. So for me, yeah, it was, you know, street life. And then, you know, got hooked into drinking, you know, really having that was just incredibly pro- problematic in my life. So yeah. just this missing element. Yeah, man. Yeah, I get it. I, I definitely get it, brother. So with all of that, with the stories that you shared so far, so how do we get from where you were then to Mr. Bowtie and where you're at right now? Whew. <laughs> That might be another two hour podcast in itself. <laughs> so, I mean, honestly, it was such a long journey. Um, and I'm 43 now. And to be honest with you, man, I really think that I got, I think it took me probably 37 years to get mm-hmm. to just this point of my life mm-hmm. now. I'm, I'm going to be honest, a lot of trials, a lot of errors, looking back at it, a lot of bad mistakes, um, you know, a lot of depression, to be honest with you. Um, a lot of soul searching, a lot of people praying for me, but it was it was a few magic moments in my life um, that, that sort of helped me get here. I, I think number one, like getting shot, got me out of the street life. I still, you know, very silly. Um, stopped drinking, got me out of that sort of element. Mm-hmm. And then I think one of the other things was, was actually going to college. Yeah. You know, it was when I went to college, you know, Morgan State was still partying and drinking and acting very immature. Yeah. And then I think a magic moment was sort of Johns Hopkins, being in Johns Hopkins University, mm-hmm. growing up in Baltimore, thinking I can never get into a place like that, never had any desire to anyway. Yeah. But that sort of helped. So, you know, major milestones. And um, to be honest with you, I think one of my internships working at the Baltimore City Juvenile Justice Center, working around young guys, mm. and it was like, Rochelle, you, you have to do better because a lot of these young guys that were detained, they were like you without dads. So it was just a bunch of different, you know, moments, um, you know, really helped me get to this place. And I guess the last one um, was in 2018. So I had a short stretch um, in the Baltimore County Detention Center myself, three months for just a, a, I don't even know what you call it, for a crime I didn't even know existed. Um, So I was gone literally at the age of what, 40? So imagine going to jail at 40 when you have things in place for three months and it like knocked me off my socks. And that was like the moment that produced my book. Mm, and okay. from there, um, God has just been showing me an incredible, incredible favor. So to answer your question, I know I gave a really elongated answer, but to answer your question, man, I think it was like my whole life. It was like my, and you know, people say, well, I had just this moment. I've had moments that stood out, but yeah. I really think like it was, it feels like it was my whole life that literally got me like to this day of this podcast, um, just different moments every day, just trying to live and learn. And it's, uh, 
it's challenging. It's yeah, just challenging, man. It's it's really <laughs> challenging because it was a lot of trial and error. Yeah, man. I definitely get it, but that's real. That's that's what it is, man. It's a lot of living and learning, man. Yep. I remember one of my mom's closest friends, and this is a town we was living in a, um, a shelter for abused women. And the song came on, I think it's Joe Public, and he said you have to live and learn. And I was about nine years old, and my mom's friend said, why can't we learn and then live? And she was asking that question. Like, it just came out the blue. Like, it just... She wasn't really talking to nobody, but it was like you could tell she was dealing with something. And at nine years old, I felt that. I felt the realness being that she made some mistakes, being at the place that we were in. She was in a shelter for abused women, being that, you know, she had some Ooh. things going on. And I felt that. And she said, and she asked this question so sincerely, like, why can't we learn and then live? And that was deep. That's something that stuck with me. But we you know we realized that we do have to live and learn. We live, we learn some things, and we try not to repeat those 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 mistakes or those those wrong choices that we made while we're going through this process of learning how to figure our way through life. You know, find our place in this world. Mm, wow, that's yeah. deep. Yeah, that is absolutely deep. Yeah, yeah. That, that's a heck of a question. I, I don't even. That's above my pay grade. <laughs> That's above my pay grade. I, I, I get it, man. I get it. But it, it was just so profound. It's something that sticks out to me. Well, let me ask you a question, man. Being that the challenge that you had and the things that you went through when you was in the street, like when you had to struggle and you was drinking, how much did society's false sense of masculinity play in the choices that you made that weren't really good for you? Oh, man. It was everything. It was like one of the biggest driving forces behind it, right? Um, because number one, you know, street life it's when you when you out in the street you you feel it's like this certain sense of bravado yeah and unfortunately a lot of people that look like you and i right black men we get this bravado because we have grown up in different cultures that allow us to believe that the street life is you, you earn your stripes that's sort of the same man i'm earning my stripes i'm quote unquote certified and i really felt that but in actuality it was just a false sense of hope that I was giving to myself that I was the street dude, right? I'm, you know, I'm tough. I'm really, you know, about this life. This is the lies, a bunch of lies, to be honest with you, that I would tell myself. I mean, I would be out on some of the corners in East Baltimore terrified. <laughs> I mean, absolutely terrified, hoping that I didn't have to to use the gun that I had on me or hoping that I didn't have to experience this quote unquote jail life. So it was all driven by this false sense of bravado and masculinity, because again, right. Your initial question was, what's the example of being a man? Now my grandfather was a tremendous example of a man, but as I got older and sort of gravitated from him a little bit more and try to develop my own sense of it, it was guys in the streets, you know, making money, and then, you know, while I'm out drinking, just, you know, having fun with women, it was like, what, this is the sense of masculinity that I'm a man because, you know, I can have a girlfriend here and a girlfriend, you know, it was just completely this false sense of masculinity, what society, um, and I'll, I'll say this, I'll say part of the society that doesn't know, because I don't want to say it's all society, but the part of society that doesn't know what true masculinity, you know, looks like, Um so it was driven by that. I mean, it was absolutely driven by that. I mean, just foolish behaving. It was driven. You the man. You you the man. That's what you you tell yourself. Yeah. Um, and completely wrong. Completely yeah. wrong. So yeah. 
know this, you know, my, my, my background is in juvenile corrections also. <clears throat> I started off in adult corrections, got into juvenile corrections because I wanted to make a difference. When I was working with adults, yes, the job was easier, but it was like, we're not, I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm a change agent. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And I wasn't impacting those men are looking at 15, 20, 30, 40 years. What, what can you tell them? <laughs> like, what, what is, you know what I'm saying? Like, where, where are you going with that? So I went into juvenile corrections and, and, and you know, the thing I realized, man, and it, it, it took me a while. It took me to understand that they're just like me. You understand what I'm saying? That yep. you're trying to find this place. And and one of the critical things and one of the most, the things that were so amazing, I know you can relate, is when you actually get to see them be kids doing mm -hmm. rec or doing an activity, a program, when they actually get to play and be 14, 15, 16-year-old boys. And that was something that really stood out to me because they don't get to have that in the street. They don't get to be the child or their age. They have to act like there's something more mm -hmm. or they have to be this man because they have so much responsibility on them. And it was that was something that I always used to love when you actually had a chance to see them sit there and be boys. Mm -hmm. What was that experience like for you? Like, Did you ever have that, that thought process when it came to that? Absolutely. So I work with guys that um, they were juveniles, but they were charged with adult mm -hmm. crime. So it was like this adult housing unit. Yeah. And my sentiments are definitely in line with yours that just watching them be kids was like a beautiful thing. But some of them fought it so hard because, again, yes. why this sense of yes. I had to be this tough guy. I'm coming from this neighborhood. You know, I, I have to kind of carry on what I see in my neighborhoods, maybe a brother, father, uncle. I have to carry on this street bravado. Some of them fought it so hard. And the, the the thing that I love about being a therapist is when I got them into a room for an individual session, I could see the kid in them. Yeah. I can see that some of them were kids, you know, frightened. This was their first time being detained. I can see that some of them were kids, man. They wanted to go home and, and chill and have a meal with mom. Yeah. Right. They didn't want to be, you know, be detained. Some of them were fearful, man. What is the next phase of my life going to look like? You know, will I actually be what they call, um, it was it was a term, but it was equivalent to just being pushed up to the adult system yeah. or still, you know, charged as a juvenile. So they were fearful of these things, but they couldn't let, you know, obviously the other kids see it. They couldn't let the staff see it because it was like, why? I got to be this tough guy, you know. Um, and then so many times that's really the problem. Like we have these kids that are afraid to be kids because of these environments. And depending, again, how they view society. Yeah. Man, masculinity will have a you know 13, 14 year old, 15 year old kid going out committing a murder because they have to be tough based on their environment. Actuality, man, these are kids. These are these are like literally these are grown babies. Yeah, yeah. When it comes to I'm gonna, I'm gonna throw out two words for you, man. I want you to tell me the first things that come to your mind when you hear them, man. But when it comes to our boys, when it comes to our men, what are your thoughts on vulnerability and transparency? Ooh. Ooh, uh, if I hear both of those words, vulnerability and transparency, I I'll come back with another word, fear. Yeah. Both of them produce an incredible amount of fear. Yeah. If I am vulnerable, right, then that means I am almost open to you being able to look inside of my soul because I'm vulnerable. Yeah. Right. Transparency. What is transparency? Like somebody, the same thing. You can look inside of my soul. That makes me very fearful because I don't want you to know that I am not 
the person who I'm perceiving to be. It's sort of like this facade, right? A lot of us, uh, men of color, we grow up our whole lives acting yeah. because we don't want people to see that we are vulnerable. Yeah. I don't want you to see that I'm vulnerable in a particular area. I don't want to be transparent about my feelings or tell you that I have, um, you know, that I have flaws or I don't I don't want you to be able to see that. So it's fear. Fear is the number one word as it relates to both of those. Right. Particularly, we're talking about um, if we talk about criminality, incarceration, a lot of fear. I don't want you to see that, you know, that I'm vulnerable emotionally as men of color. I don't I'll do anything. So you can't see that, you know, I'm very hurt and afraid. Yeah. Um, so it, it connects to a lot. And for me, it was connecting to, you know, my drinking habit. I, di- I didn't want you to see that I was like vulnerable and I didn't want you to see trans. I didn't want you to be able to see, you know what? My man is unhappy with his life. I don't want you to be able to see that. So and how do I cover up vulnerability and transparency? Man, I have to put on a facade. And for mine, it was the party drinking guy. I mean, I would go home and just be like almost at the point of tears, man. Like I hate this life that I'm living, but I'll go out tomorrow, get dressed up, and do it all again. All over again. Yeah. So fear. Yep. Fear is the number one word. Yeah, I resonate with that so much, man. For me, my vice, my coping mechanism wasn't drinking and partying. It was sex. It was females. It was pleasure. It was yep. porn. It was masturbation. It was. It was. That was my coping skill for the things that I've been with. That was my coping skill for the thoughts that I have for the you know the the, the the trauma that I've been through. So I definitely can relate. Now, when it comes to the word of vulnerability and transparency, how does that equate with healing, with adapting, recovering, and growing from things that you've been through? Mm. You you have to allow yourself to be vulnerable. Yes. Right. Um, and I know this is a this is an audio podcast, but I'll, but I'll show you when I'm working with couples in counseling. I always talk about like vulnerability. If you're not vulnerable, it looks like this. You're very guarded. Nobody can kind of get to the center of me and, and know my sort of weak spots. But you got to open up and be like this. So right. Healing, you have to be like really open. You have to be open to the fact that um, and understanding that there is a part of you that number one deserves to be healed and it can be healed. But if you're not vulnerable, you're going to be very guarded and, and closed down, right? Vulnerability says that somebody has to learn deep, dark, dirty secrets about me. That's vulnerability, right? Transparency says I, it's like a book. I got to open up this book. Yeah. I got to open up this book and let people in in order to be able to heal. And I got to transparency says also I have to be transparent with myself you would be surprised that so many people are walking around they're not even transparent with themselves they're guarding against their own you know their own stuff and the reason why i could tell you know all of my struggles so easily is now i'm i'm vulnerable and i'm transparent with it like it it, every time that i tell the story my life story like i'm freeing myself man i'm freeing myself all the time man that is so important i'm glad to hear you say that And and you know that's like, I know people can't see, but the shirt I got on is male vulnerability equals masculinity. And that's that's the same thing for me, for my story. It wasn't until I became vulnerable. It wasn't until I became transparent with my struggle that I began to heal, that yeah. I was put on the right path. Because, you know, and, and a lot of people know this, you know, and I, I speak about it so openly and so candidly because, you know, I want people to know, especially men, that you're not alone. You don't have to suffer in silence and isolation. You're not the only one who's dealing, dealing with something. Don't think that you have to carry it by yourself. For me, 
I've been a victim of physical, emotional, and sexual abuse. I, I dealt with those things. I've mm -hmm. been a victim of so much trauma in my life, man, from watching my dad beat my mother like she was a man to being homeless, having to sleep in cars, being in and out of women's shelters, to my mother losing me and my brothers at one point, to at one point walking the streets of Lancaster, Pennsylvania, homeless, nowhere to go, just mm. me and my two brothers. And I'm and I'm eight years old and I have to be the guardian and the protector for my two younger brothers who were, if I'm eight, they're four and five at the time. You understand what I'm saying? I remember uh, having to steal out of a grocery store to get us something to eat. You know what I'm saying? So it's one of those things, man, like I carried so much and it, and it caused so much turmoil. I'm like, don't get me wrong. I was always able to help others. I was always able to get other people to where they want to be. I'm a, I'm a helper. I'm a changer. I'm a fixer. All my life I was a doctor, but I couldn't fix me because mm. I didn't want to acknowledge me. I didn't want to be transparent. Like this, this, this is wearing me out, man. This unresolved trauma is wearing me out. So I'm a big component on, you know, being vulnerable, man, about being transparent, mm. allowing, first being truthful with yourself, acknowledging that where you're at, you know what I'm saying? Because that's the key to getting on that path to adapt, recover, and grow, man. So, yeah, I love it, brother. So quick, man, we talked about emotions briefly, but where were you with emotions coming up, man? Was it, was it harder for you to identify what you feel, process through what you feel, or communicate what you were feeling? All of the above. <laughs> That's like yeah. an answer on the test in school. It was it was D. All of the above, and yeah. I shot I shot away from all of them. Yeah, I, I shot away from every chance I get. I didn't want to get to this emotional place because, again, a part of my emotional, I guess, hurt was not having you know dad around. My mom and I had a a subpar relationship, so I didn't really want to discuss anything that had to do you know with feelings. I, I knew that some things were were wrong. Mm -hmm. um, did I have the words for him? I don't know that I necessarily had the words for him, but even right. if I did, I didn't really want to talk about him. So again, you know, as I got old enough, it was like, okay, I, I know something that can help me again, you know, divert my attention away from these motions. And it was drinking. Like it was just, we'll go back to that again. Cause I know every time that I picked up a bottle, man, it, it would just, I thought it was helping me sort of hide these emotions. And in actuality, you know, when I was by myself, it brought them out more. Mm. But um, talking about emotions, it wasn't, it wasn't, um, number one, it wasn't as welcoming, you know, from a societal standpoint as it is now for men to be, you know, talking about emotions and certainly not at the age of like, you know, 13, 14, 15. Um, yeah, it, it wasn't there. Like I remember, you know, 13, there were moments where I would just have tears you know, coming down my eyes, didn't know what it was about. And I'm like, this is, this is different. Did I tell my mom? No, because it was like, I don't want to talk about it anyway. If in fact I had the words or I had a greater sense of knowledge, yeah. but no, I, I shied away from that at all costs. Yeah, man. I get it, brother. I get it. So in the spirit of transparency and vulnerability, man, what is, what is one struggle you still have to this day that you just, you know, you're constantly battling to overcome, to fight through, to work through your, or what's one thing that you're constantly working on improving in yourself? Ooh, that's a great question. My wife, my wife would love to actually hear, hear, <laughs> hear the answer to this one. I, look, I bet she has a, she have a mouthful to say, huh? She'll be Man, <laughs> like as, as I'm recording this, she's in on the other side of the, the you know, our residence cooking. So she can yeah. probably hear this. It is my ego. Mm. Yeah, it's it's my ego, and, and sometimes my ego will. I literally have to pray, and she's peeking around the corner. 
So it, it is literally my ego. And and by the way, man, that was a great question. I don't think I've been asked that in a bunch of interviews that I've ever done. So that was a great question. But it is, in fact, my ego. And I know that sometimes my ego can kind of get me to a place that I'll have to say, hold on, Rashad, let, let's let's bring him back down. And I refer to him as him because it's this other yeah. side yeah. of Rashad. So it's it's is ego driven. Um, and I'll just share this too, because I want to be a hundred percent honest with everybody listening to this, this podcast. A lot of times that we talk about vulnerability, transparency, and, uh, masculinity. A lot of times my false sense of ego was actually spurred and initiated by insecurity. Mm. So I had to be honest with myself a lot of times in the areas that I were insecure about, if you saw me from my outside perspective, it was like, whoa, my man is really cocky. And I knew internally it was like, no, my man is really insecure in this yeah. area. So I had to, again, because I didn't want people to know that I'm vulnerable. I didn't want to be transparent. So, yeah, a lot of times my ego was uh, spurred by, you know, insecurity. So right now to answer your question mm. is ego. It's, it's, yeah. it's healthy and it's not so much the insecurities now, but, you know, have them but not to the degree that I want to do it. But my, my ego, it's like, I got to make sure that I'm balancing it out all the time. That's real, man. That's real. Because we all have our struggles and challenges, brother. And yep. the fact that we're able to speak to a man is we're speaking our truth, man. We're speaking our realness, our authenticity, man. And that's, I appreciate you, brother, for that, man. So what is, if you had like this, what is one piece of advice you would give boys and men of any age about masculinity? Ooh. I would say that, um, wow, one, one piece of advice about masculinity, I would say that, I would use the word honesty. The word honesty popped up in, in, into my brain that, that you have to be, try to be honest with yourself enough to say, is this idea of masculinity, is this something that I've seen and I've seen it from a healthy perspective, or is this something that I've seen from a negative perspective? Be honest with yourself. And I think if you're honest with yourself, then you'll say, you know what, this is probably the false sense of masculinity that I've seen, I've witnessed, and that unfortunately I've allowed to take on as opposed to this healthier sense. Because I'll say this, even if you didn't see healthy masculinity growing up, right. I still, it's, it's a part of me that still feels like you know what you're doing or what you believe is wrong. Yeah. And I know a lot of people would argue with that, but I still feel like from um, innately, we, we know what's right and wrong, even from this perspective of masculinity. So I'm just going to use the word honesty. Be, be honest with yourself. Man, I love it, brother. And you, that's, that's, that's real. That's so real. So switching gears a little bit, man, I want to talk to you about, and I throw this word out there and I use it, I use this purposefully for, mm -hmm. for men, but what are some things you do for self-care? Oh, man. So as, as a therapist, you know, this is right down, this is right yeah, down my yeah, street. Yeah. So yeah. for me, um, self-care is one of the biggest things for self-care. Um, and I know when people wouldn't classify this as self-care, but I would start with my level of spirituality, my relationship mm. with God. Hmm. that's like the biggest thing that I have for self-care outside of that, man, I religiously make sure I, I, I work out, um, you know, into this long distance jog and then trying to learn how to swim and have these, you know, crazy goals of one day completing a triathlon. Wow. So 
um, self-care for me is, is everything because when I'm out running an hour, it could be 10 minutes, I'm deep in my thoughts and I've trained my brain not to rely on music or sound. Ooh. So now, you know, I can do a two hour run easily and I have no music on, I'm just deep in my thoughts. So self-care for me is is, is that. Um, a part of self-care is, you know, what I put in my body, you know, um, that's, that's a part of it. And then finding ways to like take care of your body right um in, in different forms and fashion so that's that's self-care for me um that's yeah. cool, i love that man i loved it what are some things i know you talked about the job but what are some other things that you do that bring you joy oh wow my family right my, my family is, is a big you know a, a big sense of joy and my wife is really um like really pushed me to to travel more so now I have the travel bug, you know, and hopefully, you know, the pandemic blows over. Yeah, so yeah. kind of traveling, seeing new places, experiencing new people, new foods. That's a big part. Um, and my 11 year old twins, right? Just trying to, you know, hang with them and spend time with them. That brings me an incredible sense of joy. And like, and within our household, everybody is like, um, we have like these little restaurants and we go here, we're gonna try this and we go here, we're gonna try this one. Yeah. So it's really fun, like little things like that. So my family brings me like a, a, a huge sense of joy. Man, that's great, brother. That's great. Now I, I asked this question, and this is the last question I have for you, brother. Now, I asked this question, I'm gonna ask it in two ways and you answer it what's best. I get a lot of different responses to this question, but my question to you, man, is what type of legacy are you leaving in this world? Or when it's all said and done, how do you want to be remembered? Oh, so I love that question because every day I think about that. Yeah, yeah. I literally think about what it would be like when God has called me home and my time on earth has ended. Like, what, what would that be like? So legacy number one, and I'll break it down in a few parts. Legacy number one, I want to create a legacy in my house, mm. right? I want my kids to view me in a certain way that dad was just like I described my grandfather that, you know, dad, dad had some stuff with him, but he was the best dad that he could be yeah. right. The dad educated us the best he can be. And then dad left something financially for us. Mm. Right. So that's, that's part of the legacy. And the way that I view my grandfather, even now, um, I'll drive down the street and think of him and think of images and think of things he said that will make me laugh. Like, I want my legacy with my kids that 30 and 40 years from now, you know what? I remember that dad would have us in the car on Saturdays and he would sing to the top of his voice and he couldn't mm -hmm. sing and he would drive us crazy. Right. Like, I, I, and I'll never know if that comes to, you know, past because I'll be long gone. But I want my legacy that my kids will always remember me. Mm. That's that's a part of it. Um, the same with my wife. Right. I, I want to set my, my wife up that if I, you know, I, I go prior to her, that it's going to be hard to follow up my act. And not to sound, you know, not to go back and sound arrogant on my ego, but I want to, I want to, you know, if somebody comes after me, he's going to have to, you know, he's going to have to put in his homework and, you know, <laughs> I want it to be hard to follow up my act. And then the same thing financially, um, my brain is always turning. Like when I, when I die, I want my wife to be in a place that she's not worried financially at all. Yeah. Um, that's a part of my legacy. Now outside of my house, I literally want to be remembered that um, I want to die empty. Mm. I don't want to have, you know what? I, I wish I could. I had one more book in me. I had one more jog in me. I had one more person that I could have helped. I want to die empty. And empty is like really trying to give the most that I can to make the world 
a better place, particularly the people that live in the communities in which I do. Um, and I want to help everybody, right? I don't want to, to make this very narrow, but I want to help as many people of color um, as I can. Yeah. Um, and I, and I, I just, I want to die. I want to die empty. Yeah. I don't want to go to the grave with life unused, man. I, I got yeah. Listen, man, I appreciate your time. I, I appreciate your vulnerability, your transparency, brother. You are definitely a made man. You are motivated. You are accessible. You're disciplined. You're expressive. And I appreciate you for coming through today, brother, and sharing your time with me. Also want to tell you congratulations on having this time with your father coming up and planning out his birthday, it. man. And I just, you know, I'm glad that that's working out for you and everything's going right, brother. So let everybody know where they can find you at, man. They want to get in touch with you, brother. Absolutely. Um, all social media, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube, Rashad Bowtie Mills. Um, please, by all means, if uh, you have some people listening to the show now and they want a copy of the book, uh, RashadMills.com. That's a great place to get my book, Inmate 45627, A Man's Story of Mental Health, Love, Hurt, and Healing. So please, 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 if you don't think the book will be beneficial to you, get the book and, and give it to another um, another man, or to be honest with you, women can benefit from it greatly as well. So those are the best places to get me. And man, I want to, uh, you know, just give a, a huge kudos to you, man, for inviting me onto this awesome platform on a Sunday morning um, and doing everything that, that you do. Um, just having this, this platform for men and just having this discussion. We need, you know, more men as possible talking about these things that we, we discussed throughout this podcast. So I appreciate you greatly. And what I want to do is I want to throw you an alley-oop, right? So you can dunk it in easily. I want to invite you to be a guest on the Rashad Mills show too. Um, and, and kind of share, you know, some of your story and, and some of what you're doing, because I think we can never um, have enough men talking about, you know, healing um, is it, the ultimate goal. So I appreciate you greatly. Hey brother, I'm there anytime, brother. Just give me a link and I'm there, brother. We'll work it out, man. So I appreciate you, man. You'll enjoy the rest of your day. For those that don't know, we're recording on a Sunday. This is a Baltimorean, so are you okay with that Ravens loss? Or are you listen, good? Listen, listen. Let me say this before we conclude. <laughs> I'm a diehard Philadelphia Eagles oh, fan. Oh, okay, okay. So I am okay. okay. I woke up. You know, my sleep was not impacted. Now, my wife, kids, you know, that, that's another story. Now, they'll have to deal with it. They, they will have to heal. <laughs> They gonna have to back recover and grow from that. Yeah, day. they gonna have to heal because I'm I'm good. We didn't even make the playoffs, so <laughs> you was already at peace. <laughs> I was already at peace. They are upset. I'm right. I'm cool. <laughs> hey brother, I love it, man. Listen, man, you enjoy the day, the rest of your day with your wonderful family, man. I look forward to catching up with you real soon, brother. I appreciate it, man. Thank you again, and have a great day. Yes, sir. Thank you for tuning into this episode. I truly hope something during this episode resonated with you. It is my hope that you know that no matter what you're dealing with or what you're going through, you don't have to suffer in silence, isolation, and shame. We all have struggles. We all have things that we are dealing with. And ignoring or avoiding what you're thinking and feeling and not allowing yourself to be vulnerable or express any internal hurt and pain doesn't make you more of a man. Please understand that. Also, please, share this episode. You never know what someone is going through and something in this episode may help remember no matter what it is or how hard it is that's not all there is you don't have to stay stuck or struggling your power is in your choices so what type of choices are you going to make today i'm here my brother you know i 
love you Yes you, yes you are enough I just wanna be a good man I can't relate to you brother Cause you're a good man Yes you are a good man